before we get going, because you know what our subject is going to be on tonight, I had a couple of interesting um, chapters that I wanted to read since we were talking about conquering and how Christians are supposed to be conquerors. Jesus Christ said that we are more than conquerors. So it's just really interesting how if it says more than conquerors, you know what conquerors do. But man, what is our full potential in Jesus Christ is something that we need to figure out and we need to discover. And we're not going to get there void of the Holy Ghost and having Jesus Christ fully formed in us. So from here, I just want to read two uh, chapters and we'll get right into the study. But let's go into 2 Kings chapter 6. Oh, I really love this story. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we will start at verse 1. All right. And it says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there. Uh, where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So uh, so he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was um, uh, felling the, a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, which is Elijah, where fell it? And he shewed him the place. And he cut down the stick and cast it and cast it in thither, cast it in there, and the iron did swim. I mean, what an awesome thing considering that anytime you throw an axe head into the water, because it's not even even, nor um, has the ability to float, that it just fell in. But Elijah asked, you know, well, where, where did it fall in? The guy showed where. And then he just threw the, um, I mean, put the stick into the water. And now the axe head is swimming. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? it's amazing how the laws of gravity, the laws of physics are violated when it comes into what the Spirit of God can do. Mm -hmm. Or faith, verse 7. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. So I love how Elisha, because, you know, he was anointed by Elijah before he left, giving him a double portion of his spirit, that Elisha is referenced as the man of God. Mm -hmm. You know, not, you know, holier than thou, the master has come, you know, all this reverend, whatever, this and that. Your this is clearly, yeah, your holiness. Eminence. Right, he is called the man of God. So I don't think that if we're talking about conquering in Jesus Christ, that's all we need to figure out in ourselves is who are we? Are we men and women of God or are we not? Verse 10, And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, 
and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this, king, for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not shew me which is of, I mean, which is which of us is the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So what we got to understand too is no one runs this thing but God. The way that we talked about before about the vilest men being exalted in society, it's because God is not the the head of everything that is going on. Right. So you see here that the prophet of God, the man who hears from God, should be the man that speaks to whomever is the president, whomever is in Congress, whoever is king over certain kingdoms, because God governs all things. Okay, so when you are a prophet of God, you speak to the person. They don't speak to you. Okay, if God gives you the authority, we've got it backwards. Because the church of God should be dictating and speaking to the people what God wants instead of looking for the next man in office. And this is where we've fallen short in not being conquerors concerning Jesus Christ. Nathan spoke to David. David didn't speak to Nathan. Nathan went in and told David what he was doing wrong, and David repented before the Lord. So this, these are the things that are necessary in being conquerors for Jesus Christ is recognizing who's got the authority in Christ. Right. And who Christ says to us, verse 13, And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told to him, and it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither, he sent he their horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and, go, and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. Oh boy. And his servant said unto him, At last, my master, how shall we do? So Elijah's um, servant, you know, saw that the Syrian army surround them. Right. And he's, oh, master, how will we do this? How will we deal with this? And he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be uh, with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and behold, the mountains was full, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. And when they came down to him, Elijah prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elijah. Now, this is an awesome story because the carnal minded servant didn't understand why Elijah kept his peace. And you know what? This is what the world needs to see concerning the man or woman of God, that we are not alone. I don't care what it looks like here. I don't care what's going on here. I'm recognizing just by reading this that there is a spiritual warfare that is going on out there that dictates the physical. So when you're out there being alone, and you know, this goes back to what Jesus said, where there are two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. 
And there he was with his armies waiting to do what's what. Now, Elijah could have just said, destroy them. He could have asked for it and the Lord would have granted. He said, man, smite them with blindness. You know, and it was done. So this is the power of God. It also shows what kind of relationship Elijah and his faith that Elijah was able to ask or to say unto God, smote them with blindness, and he did. That's right, because Jesus said, if you should ask anything in my name and doubt not, it shall be done unto you. So it was true of the prophets in that day. It is true of us today. But we need to be sanctified. We need to have faith. And we need to be full of the Spirit to be able to proclaim such things. Because exactly. this is what the Spirit will. This wasn't Elisha's idea. But Elisha was God's representative. God trusted him. All right, verse 19. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this uh, the city. Follow me. And I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come into Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men and that they, uh, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, uh, when, <laughs> when he saw them, my father shall uh, smite uh, my father shall I smite them shall I smite them and he answered thou shalt not smite them wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master so here is the grace of god being shown way back then instead of people being destroyed when Jesus said to his disciples, you know not what spirit you are of, because they wanted fire down from heaven. He said, you know, he, he hoped that the world might be saved. So all he wanted is for the Syrians to do was see the truth. See who is the true and living God and let it be. So there's no need for bloodshed. There's no need for destruction when you're dealing with our God. All right, verse 23. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. I mean, what an awesome thing, you know, how that worked out, because they had learned that the children of Israel had the real God. So they were able to go back and tell their master, hey, we don't need this. But let's just say they acted in carnality. Okay, you slaughtered Assyrians. And then the Syrians come back and kill some of your men. And then no one even understands the power of God. Right. So this is what people have considering, you know, being more than conquerors for Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So I, thought, I love that story. So from here, let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 11. They call this the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in order to get a grasp of what this is about, you know, you, your mind has to be metaphysical. Your mind has to transcend time and space. 
all matter, all things that we can perceive with our five senses and understand that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you don't fire faith, if you don't have faith, then nothing will come from it. Right. The more faith you have, the more will be revealed and the more that is done in God exactly. because he becomes your reality. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. So we got to understand this. They obtained a good report before who? Before God, because of the fact that they had faith. Exactly. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do, not, which do appear. So we understand that when God stretched forth his hands and Jesus Christ said, let there be light. He wasn't hoping. He wasn't wondering. By the command of his voice and knowing the power of knowing that he is God, that this was done. Now, I'm not teaching New Age Babel. God is God. And, you know, that's, hey, you know, he makes no apologies for it. That's, right. that's not bragging. That's just fact. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. So we understand here that remember when uh, Cain told Abel, your brother, well, um, the Lord told Cain, your brother's blood crieth unto me, or crieth from the ground. It's because Abel was innocent, Abel was righteous, and the Bible says that the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous, yep. even when they're dead. Okay, so by faith, Abel did what the Lord asked. And we have to ask ourselves, by faith, can we actually do this? Mm -hmm. By faith, when does this book become real to you? By faith, do you believe everything that this book says that you may do what is necessary to become a conqueror in Christ? Right. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So we understand that Enoch was taken, the Bible speaks of him, as a righteous man. You read the book of Jasher, it'll tell you the same thing, that Enoch was a righteous man before the Lord. And isn't it funny how he was the seventh removed from Adam, you know, and he was the one that was taken. Okay, so he had a good testimony that he pleased God. This is why the elders were able to obtain an excellent report. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, come on. This is where it all comes to life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to have more faith in him in order for the Lord to be pleased. And this is why it talks about that the carnal mind is God's enemy. You know, friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. All right. So we understand here that we got to believe that he is God. So a lot of people pray in faith or they pray be thinking they have faith and they pray, Lord, give me power. Give me strength. Let me be more like you. But in their minds, they're only praying to the boogeyman, to the Easter bunny, to Santa. They go on their knees with you know, wondering and not hoping and believing God. We have to believe God when we ask him for things. That's how God knows who belongs to him right. and who's his and who really knows that God is God. Verse 7, By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, 
moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, uh, which, which is by faith. So interesting point about Noah. It took him 120 years to build this boat while he was mocked, ridiculed, and everything else. He saw no rain, but he believed God. And because of that, his people were saved. So this is why the Bible tells us to never be tired of well-doing. But you see, 120 years, there's God's number of 12 again. Right there, 120 years to complete the ark. Mm -hmm. All right, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Now, you know that this happened with him when he was told about the land and where he should be. The Lord told him where he would dwell, and they're going to tell you the rest of the story here. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And this is what we ought to look for instead of trying to look for brick and mortar to prove a point. Many times you can do things in the Lord and you don't see the fruit of what the Lord intends to do. But we got to understand about faith and building character. The Lord does things and he will uh, exalt you in his season or in his time because he needs you to grow and to believe him. Right. Noah's situation could have lasted three, four hundred years, Noah would have still been working on that boat. Abraham would have sojourned in that land up until the evidence of what God told him to do. So we can't be tired of what we're doing, no matter how little we see, we've got to believe God. That's right. All right, so it says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child um, when she was past age because she judged him fatherful uh, who had promised, a uh, faithful, sorry, mm -hmm. who had promised. So faith in Sarah being able to conquer, okay, barrenness, which is something that doctors tell people today and they just fall to pieces. And I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just making a point that this is telling us that our God can do all things, including conquer barrenness. Yep. I mean, how many barren women were in this Bible? <laughs> Verse 12. Exactly. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. So out of one barren woman who believed God and one man who believed God that came a nation so great that it was innumerable like the sand of the sea. Mm -hmm. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So we understand here that they didn't even have what we had, and look at all they accomplished. Now the Holy Ghost is available to all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that died for our sins, and people just take the Spirit and do absolutely nothing with it. Exactly. That's because people don't understand what the Spirit was given for. This all comes in growth, but you never let your fire burn out. That's right. Verse 14, 
For they that say such things declare plainly that uh, that they seek a country. Is that what I read? Not yet. Oh, okay, verse 13. Did I read 13? Okay. All right, 14. Verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, uh, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So God, you know, when you walk with him, Abraham became a friend of God, which made him walk with the Lord. This is what we all desire. This is how we become conquerors in Jesus Christ. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, and when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So Abraham was worthy to be called a friend of God because Abraham put nothing before the Lord by faith. You go back to that chapter, I think it's um, Genesis 22. I believe so. But when he said, offer up your son, Abraham headed for Mount Moriah. He didn't waste any time. He took that rope. He grabbed that knife. Hey, I believe God. All right. He didn't say, Lord, this is my only son. He said, well, Lord, you must know something that I don't know. And this is why Jesus says later on that anyone that loveth son or daughter, mother or father, or anything more than me is not worthy of me. Because Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. The Lord wanted to know if he meant business. Exactly. Verse 18, of whom it is said, that is, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also uh, he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, uh, blessed uh, both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. So Joseph didn't know that they would be out, but Joseph believed that they would be delivered because God told them that they would inherit that land. So Joseph didn't say, man, this looks grim. I don't know what to say. Joseph said, hey, when we get out of here, make sure my bones do not stay in this place. All right, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So despite what the king said, they had faith to save Moses' life and to believe that God would preserve it. Mm -hmm. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So he wanted to go out there and just be a slave if need be, run for his life because he wanted to be on the side of righteousness, not on the side of just having fun. Moses could have lived it up and possibly been the next Pharaoh. He was that accepted in being in there. But this is where people have to understand if we want to be conquerors for Jesus, we cannot be attached to the world. So they make their way out. He made his way out. And the Lord sustained him, only to make him a champion for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, 
for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And you see, a lot of people would wonder, where is my treasure? Where is this? The Lord put it in the earthen vessels that you may seek it out. And then you wonder why you can't be a conqueror. You've got to dig deep for that gold that the Lord has placed in you to have he that is greater than you, I mean, he that is that, that is in you that is greater than the world come forth. Now, everybody wants to see this, but no one wants to part from Egypt. You've got to forsake this world to walk with God. All right. Uh, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now remember, when the death angel passed by, okay, they believed enough of God's truth, and they painted the blood of the lamb on their, um, on their doorpost. And when the angel came by, that, you know, they were saved because they saw the blood that represented they were with God. So this is all done in faith. And you got people today who won't even fast and pray. Nope. Don't even get on their knees for the Lord. Don't even believe him. Nope. All right. Verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea and by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Now imagine marching around seven days believing God. And then all of a sudden on that seventh day, you blow your trumpet like the Lord commanded and your enemy's walls fall down and they run off. I mean, you know, what, what, awesome. what awesome, how awesome <laughs> is God concerning faith and his word? And we want to be conquerors. We need more faith. That's right. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believe not. Uh, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me uh, to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel of the prophets. So this is the hall of faith. Rahab the harlot recognized, hey, you know what? I heard that this land belongs to Israel. I know I'm in a land of giants. But from what I'm hearing, Israel's kicking butt. Okay, so I don't want to be on the bad side of things. I'm going to hide two of their spies and make sure they're safe because I believe that God gave Israel. And what did they do? When they conquered the land, they made sure that Rahab wasn't harmed. That's right. And she was a harlot. So our Lord's grace goes out to anyone that believes that wants the truth. Yeah. Verse 33. Verses. That's right. You know, verse 33 who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. I mean, David, you know, didn't play when it came mm -hmm. to that. Lions came after his sheep. David didn't look, oh, well, I don't have enough to deal with it. David went right out and defended the sheep. Right. Verse 34, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight. Turn to flight and armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now that was um, women receiving their children. That was what Elijah did that day. You got David here. You got a bunch of things here. But one thing we see for sure is that they're all conquerors. Every single one of these people had done the impossible. 
but it's not impossible to those who believe God. I like the last half of 35, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Exactly. They did not ask to be free. They wanted to do the will of God right there. They weren't looking for it to be easy. They believed God. Right. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, exactly. Right. Because, I mean, that's going to, I mean, that's something that we have to have, you know, settled in our minds is that we're going to be going through things and not be delivered from certain things that some people might be saved through our persecution. And you got people that don't want to be conquerors. They want to get on the pre-trib rapture lines mm -hmm. and fly off into nowhere. Verse 36 and others who um, and others had trial of cruel mockings. So you know that can be Jesus. That can also be um, Noah. How many people were mocked for the Lord yep. and scourgings? Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. That can even be Paul and the disciples. Yep. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. That was Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet was sawn in half. Mm -hmm. uh, were tempted. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens, and caves of the earth. And all these, I mean, and these all have obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Why didn't they receive the promise? Because the Lord was waiting for the time to come. For Jesus Christ to impart his spirit that we may have it. Now, how can we have the promise and not do, want to do anything for the Lord? Paul says we're not conquerors. He said we're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Right. Verse 40. God having provided some better things for us that they without should, I mean, that, that they without us should not be made perfect. Why? Because the time was not yet come. But look at all they had done. Alright, so I guess we're going to get praying. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions. And those things, Lord, that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have, Lord, with my sisters and brothers in Christ, that you have kept us, Lord, in good health and perfect peace. And I'm asking, Lord, that you continue to do so, Lord, as we experience our periods with you in grace, Lord, doing all that you call us to do. I'm asking, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you just show your people that we are to be soldiers. I'm asking, Lord, that you show us, Lord, that this thing cannot be entered into unless we recognize that we are at war. Unless we get a full understanding as the battle of the battlefield and of the adversary and of our weapons, Lord, concerning that which is necessary, and Jesus Christ, Lord, is our fortress, then we will never see what's going on. So I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you bind every foul spirit every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of unbelief, every spirit of doubt, every spirit of fear, every homosexual spirit, every spirit that is not of Jesus Christ, Lord. I'm asking, Lord, that they be bound today. 
I'm asking that every Jezebel spirit, every Ahab spirit, every spirit of sickness, every spirit, Lord, that is not of God, let it be moved out of the way. Let the Holy Ghost, Lord, fall mightily upon us right now. Let the Spirit, Lord, baptize us in fire. Let us, Lord, not utter words that don't come from you. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you open the eyes of those who can't see and the ears of those who can't hear, that your word may be understood, Lord, that we have nothing to fear because we have you. You are the creator of all things. You are the light of the world. You are the true vine. You are the good shepherd. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you just give us what is necessary, Lord, to walk this thing out, that we become battle-clad, battle-ready, battle-tested, Lord, and, and not turning back, just staying focused on you, Lord, for we are more than, more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you just put victory in our hearts. I'm asking, Lord, that we sing songs of praise. I'm asking, Lord, that we understand that your joy is our strength. And I'm just asking, Lord, that we be covered in your glory, that we glorify you, almighty God. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. Lord, do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called More Than Conquerors in Jesus Christ. Because I know that we do a lot of things. Um, we point out what's wrong with the world. Um, you know, in this study, we point out all the enemy, all his devices, all the things that he has planned. But, you know, at times we need a steady diet of the Spirit of God to show us that we've got the power to overcome anything that the enemy throws at us. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's dreams. I don't care if it's bills. I don't care if it's work or school or whatever. Nothing that a Christian does is void of Jesus Christ That's because right. everything has a spiritual component, whether it is, um, you know, in the world or whether it's in the spirit. There is nothing spiritual that happens that doesn't affect anything that is natural. Okay, so we have to see things in a spiritual light, see things in the way that Jesus Christ sees them. But, you know, I wanted to get to this topic more than conquerors because lately, I'll tell you, the enemy has been, you know, trying to throw his weight around, you know. And I've never been one of those people who just let somebody just, you know what I mean, get all in your face and, you know, talk a lot of smack and, you know, just, and it's not about humility. It's about knowing your place with the Lord and the devil learning what his place is. So we're going to go over some scriptures on how to conquer this clown. You know, we're going to do a lot of things concerning what we need to do to be prepared, and we do not have to fear. A Christian should have no fear in his life because that is not of God, Amen. okay? That is the spirit of, you know, the devil that wants you to doubt, that wants you in unbelief. So we're going to get into some things, but I always like to start with a psalm. But we need to recognize our power and our authority in Jesus Christ if we're ever going to be effective. Because what you find in a lot of um, churches is they'll give you the goodness. A lot of them will say, we don't focus on things. We don't get into demons. We don't get into all that stuff. We just focus on the goodness of the Lord. But that's an imbalanced diet. That's giving people false hope. There's nothing wrong with talking about the goodness of the Lord. But you got to first recognize that we have a real enemy out there. 
You know, and he is not to be taken lightly, even though we know that in Jesus we can conquer anything that the devil has. But we got to understand that he's a destroyer. Okay, he's a headhunter. Many wise people he has made foolish and has destroyed and taken them to hell. Okay, so we can't afford to take our eyes off of Jesus, but we have to recognize that we have a real enemy and we are at war so that we see things in a warlike spiritual nature, not being hard in self, but understanding that every little thing, you know, can have something to do with you going off course or you staying with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so if, uh, we'll just go to Psalm 3. I want to get started in Psalm 3. I love this song. I think uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle sings a great one. Uh, it's called Thou, O Lord, by Brooklyn Tabernacle. I play it here sometimes, but it really does tell you about what the Lord is to you and what we ought to be. All right, so Psalm 3, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, Lord, how are, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help from him in God. So we understand that David is recognizing that if he's a person following the Lord, that trouble will be increased against you. And, you know, the enemy will rise up against you. And this is what you're going to feel. Many will rise against you. Every time you hear the word many, it's always in a negative form. God doesn't deal with the many. He deals with the few because there are few that are willing to accept the truth. So when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, you get the feeling of, man, I'm the only one out here doing this. It feels like the whole world's against you. So you've got to recognize that we have um, refuge in Jesus Christ. All right. So he says there is no help for him in God. Now, this is true. If any man is following the Lord, you will not get help from the world. You have to be separate from the world and let the Lord become your pipeline that will give you everything that you're going to need. All right, verse 4, and it says, no, verse 3 actually, uh, But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. So we understand that he's making it clear, a distinction between those who, you know, if you're following the Lord, the world's coming against you. But God himself is being a shield for you, that he is your glory and the lifter of your head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. So calling upon the Lord when you find yourself in real trouble, you know, there's nothing like sincere prayers from the heart. It's unfortunate with fallen man that we never really experience this unless we're in trouble. We should be able to call on him all the time and have that ready mind feeling like, Lord, you know, this world is so bad. There are people going to hell. There's so many sick, Lord, that we want to see healed. There's so many people without that we want to provide for. But unless you have that mindset of what the world is really like, you only find yourself calling on him when you get in real trouble. All right. Verse five, I laid me down and slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So David is recognizing here that the Lord is the majority, not the minority. And when you get a real clear understanding of this world, you realize you are surrounded. But he said, the Lord sustained him in his sleep. 
And this is something we got to recognize when we're when we're sleeping, the Holy Ghost can be working on you there. You don't realize what he's filling you with and what he's taking out of your life. This is why you can go to bed feeling, you know, depressed and, and, and praying for things. And then all of a sudden in the morning, you feel refreshed. And some people would say it's only because your brain was tired and you needed sleep. No, it's a lot more to it than that. Okay, because the Holy Ghost even chases off the guilt that the devil tries to place on you through sin. But if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost coming and cleaning you and giving you a heart of repentance, that, that cloak of sin or, or guilt would just remain on you. All right, so verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies. Upon the cheekbone thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. So, you know, the people of God, he's recognizing that they are the ones that, re that hear from the Lord and receive the blessings. You want the good things of God, and all you have to do is remain in him. And he's more than the world against you. Let's go to Psalm 91 real quick. Psalm uh, 91 and verse 1, and it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. So, from the beginning of Psalm 91 up until the end of verse 2, he's talking about, I believe this is Jesus Christ, but the point is, is he's keeping it all on God, Christ-centered, God-centered. This is where we need to keep it. A lot of the times we go off course when we start getting those bills, you know, you start recognizing your needs in the world, and how am I going to make this happen? What's going to happen? Again, there is nothing in the physical that is not affected by the spiritual. So if we stay up under the Lord, he will take care of our needs. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. So this is a promise that if we stay up under the Lord, that the snare of the devil, the snare of the hunter that's out to get your soul, everything that he lays before you, the Lord will keep you, make sure that you don't get caught. But it says from the noisome pestilence, which is kind of like, you know, sickness, disease, you know, all sorts of things, all sorts of creepy things that are of the enemy. Verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall, shall be thy shield and buckler. This is why when we walk in truth, that the power of God comes upon us. Because if we stay within the truth of God, no one can say that Sarah is a this and that. No one can say that Melissa is this. No one can say that Aline is like that. If you stay in the truth in God, you'd be surprised how many people will recognize it in the world. Someone will call you, you're this, you know, and they'll, no, he's not. You know, this person is, you know, they don't get down like that or whatever because your reputation follows you. So if you stay in Christ, that is your truth. But if you aren't covered in the truth of Jesus, then you're only wearing part of your armor. So that means you're due for a good gut punch if the belt is the, is the um, what is it, the gird up your loins with truth. Okay, so you're good to get kicked in where it hurts if you're not wearing this. Okay, so this is important. <laughs> so it says, uh, verse 5, 
Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. So don't be afraid of that which lurks in darkness. Don't be afraid of war in the daytime, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. So he's saying, don't, be, don't worry about sickness and don't worry about destruction. The Lord has got you in his hands. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. As we were talking about earlier with Melissa, saying at work, you know, that she was the only one that didn't get sick, you know, at work. I mean, a lot of it has to do with, hey, I put my trust in the Lord, not in a flu shot. But, you know, this is what we're going to see. Even though these are the times of David, David is speaking of a time well beyond his because there's going to come a time when there'll be disease and there'll be plagues and there'll be sickness everywhere. And because people aren't wearing their armor and they're trusting in these lying doctors and other things, a lot of people are going to get sick. You're going to see thousands fall to your right side and 10,000 at your right, I mean, on your left and 10,000 on your right hand. You know, and it will not come to you because your trust is in Jesus Christ. All right, so then it says, verse 8, Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. So what the wicked do, they will get in return. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge concerning over thee uh, to keep thee in all thy ways. I was getting ready to read uh, Matthew 4 when they were talking about the devil. <laughs> right. This is what the devil quoted to Jesus when Jesus was on the um, temple. And he said, well, you know, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down and the angels will catch you. And he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So even though we're under God's protection... Don't think that we've got a legal right to go out and mess around thinking that we've got his help because then you compromise the protection of God. Then you've got the Holy Ghost in a situation where he wants to defend you, but you're out of bounds. So I can't protect you outside the zone. And then the angels, which he says, well, that he gave charge concerning you, they can't get involved. And, and think about what we do when we're in the world, when we're in sin. If you've got God's angels with you, Imagine going into a stinking, nasty house party full of drugs, full of other things going on, wild stuff going on there, and you want the angels of God to come in and sit with the demons that you tend to commune with. Like they're supposed to just be there and be comfortable and be happy. No, they're going to wait for you outside if you're, you know, the Lord saves your butt. But you take the protection off of you when we're out of bounds. We need to stay within the parameters or perimeter of God. Yep, that's right. Alright, verse 12. Uh, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. So you see, they'll bear you up in their hands. But if you want to walk earthly, if you want to walk on the ground, if you want to keep your life lowly and not heavenly, then you're asking for it. You know, you're asking for them to back off. Hey, you're on your own, pal, you know. I don't fly that low. Verse 13. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Now this is an early thing of David talking about the lion, of course. Uh, the Bible is referred to the devil as an adversary, walketh about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's saying that he's trampling him here. And this is what Jesus said that, 
He has given us the power to tread over serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. So no matter what the enemy throws at us, we should be able to overcome it in Christ. Yep. All right, so he said they'll trample it under feet. And the dragon is here, okay, which is Satan. Verse 14, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Now this is the Lord speaking. Because you set your love upon me, you will be delivered. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. So the Lord will exalt us all in due time. We need to stay humble and lowly, pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he's ready for us to go into battle, believe me, you are going to be in the right place at the right time. But first, we have to stay up under him. Verse 15, uh, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Now, these are the Lord. This is the Lord telling you these are promises. Okay. So you call upon him and he will answer. Why? Because you're righteous. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and shew him my salvation. So he's assuring if you stay up under the Lord, you will endure unto the end to be saved. It's the same words that Jesus Christ had quoted. He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. But if you stay up under Jesus Christ, you've got nothing to worry about from the enemy. So from here, let's go to Romans 8. We're going to get started in Romans 8 and verse 1. And we're going to hear a teaching, um, well, quick, a short video of R.W. Schombach, because I believe, you know, nobody can preach it like Schombach. I mean, he'll get you fired up. You know, this is a, he was a real man of God that did the things of God. He died recently, but he was one of the last few real men of God bestowing that faith and talking about the power of Jesus Christ. That's what we need more of. But everybody wants to be in church and hear how much God loves you. You know, we need to get armor clad and ready for war. All right, Romans 8, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So right away, you recognize what we just read in Psalm 91. Paul is here talking about, all right? Staying in Jesus, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the Lord could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now, most of Romans talks about the difference between grace and the law. Most of Galatians talks about this too. Paul is saying that they will not be condemned, and you overcome sin through the Spirit of God, not through the law. Okay, so if you go back to Romans 6 and 7, which we're not going, but it, it starts talking about how the law was the strength of sin. Okay, because just because you're told not to do it will give you the urge to do it. It's not by rules and regulations that things are done. It's by the nature change of Jesus Christ. So they're making it here clear through the Spirit of God is how we overcome those things at one point that had us bound. Right, this is the only way to become conquerors in Christ. Right. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Again, you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and it talks about, I believe it's in one nine. 
the law was not made for a righteous man. So if you're following the Lord and doing what he tells you to do and going through the process of sanctification, it's not about obeying rules and regulations because you're doing what the Lord is telling you to do. But if you're breaking the law, then you remember every sin in here applies to me or every penalty for sin. Okay. All right. So it says, um, verse five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So you, you pay attention to the things of the flesh. Those are the things that you'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the, of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you know when somebody's worldly, I don't care how much they talk about Jesus. If you're into Housewives of L.A., if you're into Empire, if you're into Scandal, and you're into all this trash, and then you can't wait to tell somebody at work about it, okay, the bottom line is you're a worldly person. I don't care how much you go to church. Right. This is what's on your mind. Exactly. All right, so it says for it to be, uh, verse 6, right? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You guys keep this in mind because we're going to dig deep into what this actually is. That the mind eventually has to transcend time and space to be one with God or, you, or you're dead. You know, you got to keep this in mind. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So a carnal mind cannot even be a part of God, all right? It is the enemy of God because it's these things that keep us bound in our sins, and it's these things that keep us from believing through faith that we can get past these things that have us bound. So you become the enemy of God because if God wants you to go out and preach, you want to sit around and watch TV. If God tells you, you know, you need to sanctify your mind and get into the Word, you want to go look at unclean things. You know, you want to have unclean thoughts. You want things that are contrary to what God wants. So that makes you his enemy because Jesus says, he that doesn't gather with me, you scattereth. So either you're on the side of Jesus helping the kingdom or you're dividing the kingdom and fighting against Jesus. Is it too warm in here? No? You guys good? Okay. All right, so it says, um, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Don't even try to do it void of the Holy Ghost. If you have fleshly thoughts and fleshly ways, you need to fast and pray your way through for a breakthrough to be sanctified that the, that the flesh is dead and the Spirit of God is living in you. Uh, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we don't have to sit here and pretend. We don't have to act like we're in and be out the whole time. If we don't have the Spirit of God in us, then he's none of his. We're none of his. So if we want to say, how do you know that you have the Spirit? I'll put it to you this way. They just went back to verse 5 and said, if you mind the things of the flesh, that you're in the flesh. If you mind the things of the Spirit, you're of the Spirit. Remember what you were like in the world when you would set time for God that would maybe church. You know, I'll pray to him when I get the chance or whatever. But whenever you start living your life and every day you wake up, how am I going to please the Lord today? Every time you end your day, Lord, did I do right in your eyes today? Whenever you feel convicted by the Holy Ghost, I have not done enough. 
for the Lord today and I know that I'm lacking, then you've got the Spirit of God because only the Holy Ghost is going to look after those or direct those that are pursuing the truth in Jesus Christ. Okay, so, and I'm not talking about religious works. I'm talking about a full conviction of the Holy Ghost telling you, you know that was wrong. You know you need to depend on me. You know you should be praying right now. How many people have you talked to about the Lord today? So if you don't have that in your life, if you don't have the Holy Ghost governing your world, I'm not talking about mistakes you make. Those are going to come. But this is why we are overcomers in Jesus Christ. But what I am speaking about is if the Holy Ghost doesn't anchor your thoughts and govern your thoughts and your feelings, then you don't have the spirit. And it's that clear. There's only one way to get it, through Jesus Christ. All right, so it says, uh, I think I'm at verse 10. But if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So this is pretty complex here, but it's also pretty simple. Mm -hmm. If Christ be in you, the body is dead. Now, some people would say, well, I thought I had the spirit, but I still have certain sins in my life. I do believe when it talks about Christ being formed in us and born in us, that Jesus Christ may begin to form in your legs. So you start to walk a certain way. You start to walk right. I believe when he has control over your tongue and you're no longer cursing and involved in filthy conversation, the Lord has that area. But I believe it's about Christ being grown in us. So once Christ is fully grown in us, the body is dead. If there are things you're still sinning with with parts of your body... That doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that the Holy Ghost doesn't govern that area. Okay, so you don't have a fulfilling of Christ. You may have some of the Holy Ghost, but the Lord wants to govern every part of you. That your ways and your thoughts and and your actions are not separate from God because Jesus Christ is fully formed in you. Yeah. It's like... That's right. Okay, and how much you feed. feed That's it. right. Mm-hmm. So like that, if you if he's formed in you, then he's gonna you know your arms can be the branches. So it can be like a tree. Christ is that tree of life grown in us. That's exactly right. And I mean, you know, that's what I believe. This is what's going on here. But when Christ is fully formed in us, the body is dead. That means that your thoughts are no longer your own. That means you live and you think like Jesus Christ. That means instead of just sitting around doing nothing, man, you're out there preaching. You don't care what people think and, you know, you're just doing his will. That's when you are truly a vessel fit for the master to use. All right. So um, where are my verse? Um, Well, I'll start at 10 again. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. So that means sin is gone from your life. There is a point that you can get to that you will not have the sins that the Bible's talking about. I'm not saying a bad thought wouldn't come here or there. But you have the power to rebuke it and to overcome it. Okay? I'm not saying the devil wouldn't try and tempt you to sin, but you would still, you know, have enough in you to get past it. Verse eleven. But if the spirit of of if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay, so we know that as Jesus Christ was, if we have Christ fully formed in us, that the same power that raised Jesus up 
from the dead will be the same power that raised us up in the last day. And this is why we're going to find that not even death can stop a Christian. Not even any fears that man has does not belong to a Christian because a Christian is dead and living for Christ. We don't die, we sleep, okay? We don't just dwell and move, we change addresses, okay? So we can be in one place, but then we're in another. We're just passing through time this whole time, doing the will of God, but the enemy himself is not, he has no effect on you because you know that I'm living for eternity, not for the here and now, verse 11. But if the spirit of, oh, I read that, right? Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, this is why the Bible tells us that if we suffer with Christ, we'll be raised with Jesus Christ. There are things that you would want to do like a worldly person would, but eventually those desires will die down. This is a discipline. This is, you know, being sanctified. This is the Lord taking desires that you would normally have and giving you his mind so you won't even pursue them. So there's a lot of things that we forsake to pursue Jesus, but, you know, it's worth it. All right, so it says in verse 13, For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So you got a lot of people talking about, I'm a child of the Most High God. This is how a lot of people feel, but wait a minute. Did you mortify your members? Or are you led by the Spirit day by day? Because if you're not led by the Spirit, that's just mental ascension. We have to do the things of God. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. So the spirit of bondage would be like the law because it says again to fear. Why most people kept the law was not because they had a nature change. They feared the consequences of the law, which really didn't change them one bit. Now, you may have some that may have an early relationship with Jesus, like Moses, like Joshua, like Elijah, the prophets. You know, they were people that pursued the Lord. But for the masses, they were governed by the law. All right, you, you fornicate, you know what's going to happen. You commit adultery, you'll get stoned. You know, th this is what can happen to you. So when you're doing certain things, oh, you're lying? All right, bring them out back. If you're in the, um, the Sabbath, you know, you're keeping the Sabbath and all that. Hey, I mean, well, you don't keep the Sabbath. You were stoned. So these are things that can come against them. But this is why people listen. It wasn't changed. Now, you would think with all the penalties of death that people would have said, I ain't breaking the law. No way. But what happened? Because a lot of them didn't have that change in nature. What did they do? Look around. I think I'll get involved in this one more time. And if you were caught, that was it. You know, there was no getting around it. All right. So this is what he's saying by fear. That was the again to fear. But ye have uh, received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's like Daddy, Father. So when we receive the spirit, we are under the adoption of the Father. Jesus Christ becomes our big brother. I know a lot of people don't like that, but he's our big brother, but he is also our God. He is also our Messiah. He is also King of Kings. So we've got to keep that in mind. All right, verse 16. 
The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So you see, the Spirit will bear witness that you are of the right spirit because you're of the right nature of God. Verse 17, And if children then heirs, uh, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So you've got to suffer with Christ to become a joint heir. Everybody wants what the kingdom says that you can have, but no one wants to overcome anything to get there. We have to suffer with Christ. I'm not saying we'll be nailed to a cross, but we will have our own cross to bear and our trials and tribulations that are a must for us to be baptized by fire, to go through our fiery trials, to be converted, to pursue Jesus the way that we're supposed to. And then you are counted worthy to walk with him. Why? Because he knows that you're not playing around. Yeah. He knows that you're serious about this. If you were going to turn tail and run, you would have done it a long time ago. But because you were in the trenches, in the battle, because you suffered like I suffered, hey, here's your crown. There's no mistake in you're following me. Okay? Everybody want to, you know, root Jesus on in the stands. Go get him. But they want to just sit back and do absolutely nothing. It not work that way. Only players receive championship rings. Verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he's saying, man, nothing compares these sufferings, what we go through. You can overlook. You can ignore. This is nothing. This is why Paul did what he did. This is why Peter did what he did. This is why these guys suffered. Because compared to what the glorified body is going to be, what that last trump when we're resurrected, man, imagine getting to see James and Peter and I mean Abraham. You're sitting amongst them. Why? Because you're worthy. You've gone through your own trials. But a lot of people think, if I just go to church, be a good person. I'm going to get up there and sit with all these great patriarchs and all these people that were involved. And they don't even know who you are. And who is this guy? Oh, I attended Ebenezer Baptist Church. Say, lovely. Now get out. You know, we don't know you. But the point is, is you've got to be known. You've got to take your licks. All right. All right. So verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the Son of God. For the creature was made a subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So he's talking about like the time of Adam and Eve, how they were made how things were. They were made to glorify the Lord through their sin. They became corrupted. And from there, man has been full of vanity. Man has been full of self, you know, full self-centered. But when it comes to pursuing the Lord and getting the spirit, breaking through the bondage and unto liberty, unto the glory, you are the children of God because you've done your time and you've broken free. You got something you want to add? Oh, you're sitting there looking like, I don't know. <laughs> Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even uh, we ourselves, groan within ourselves, 
waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So when it talks about first fruits, people need to understand that Jesus Christ was the first of his kind. Jesus Christ was the first to be born of the Spirit, a man. Well, he wasn't man. He was God in the flesh. But he was able to give the Spirit unto us. So he was the first of his type, and there would be many that would follow. And because of this, Jesus remained in the flesh. You know, he has holes in his hands to this day. He has holes in his feet. He is a living witness that he did what he did, and that will not change. But we get to become glorified in the flesh. Now, I believe that what we're going to be is what Adam and Eve already were, and they lost it. But their bodies were made to glorify the Lord. From that point on, when that light went out and they sinned, man has been trying to find his way back ever since. Verse 24, for we have um, saved, so for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he um, yet, why doth he yet hope for? Uh, but if we hope for that we see not, then do with patience, wait for thee, I mean, wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And this is why I encourage people to get baptized in the Spirit. Don't let people fool you into thinking speaking in tongues is a joke. It's not real. You know, pray. Um, pour your heart out to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to baptize you in the Spirit. There are some people that have their own theories about how it's done. Some people say if you pray for an hour straight, you know, usually somewhere around an hour, the Spirit will come upon you. But, you know, it's not supposed to be time-centered. It's supposed to be really pursuing Him for real. But if you pray, the Lord will baptize you in the Spirit. What keeps us from being baptized in the Spirit is a lot of people will fight it. A lot of people will say that's not true. I heard it was of the devil. But you see, when you pray in the Spirit, that's something between your spirit and God that no one else can understand. The devil may even know what you're doing, but he can't tell what's being said. So the Lord may, the Spirit may um, groan and utter things that you need for yourself as well as others. Because if you pray in your flesh, your flesh is self-centered. Your flesh is, Lord, I need a car. Lord, I need a house. Send me the love of my life. Lord, I need money. Lord, I don't know. Um, I need a good job with vacation and, and this and that. See, that stuff ain't touching the saints. We are all here because of the intercession of the saints that prayed for us at the time when we were foolish enough not to know the Lord. So when you pray in the Spirit, it'll actually pray. The Spirit will pray for things that are necessary. You know, so your, your uh, will will become like God. Verse 27, and he that searcheth the heart knoweth what it is, what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good uh, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And I'll tell you another thing about being in the spirit and having the Holy Ghost is that it also proves when you get baptized in the Spirit and the gifts begin to manifest, that God only trusts God. Mm -hmm. He does not trust you and I. That's all it could. When you're praying in the Spirit, you got no control over that. But it's being done because I can't trust you and your thoughts. You're going to pray for something outside of the will of God. 
So when you start to have the gifts manifest in you, it really shows that you are a vessel. And, you know, when you're praying, it's like you don't know what's coming out. It's no. coming out. God knows, and that's what he needs. Then when he's done, okay, thank you, be quiet, go to bed. I've got my will done for you. Okay, but this is what he needs from us. Verse 29, for whom he, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, some people would say, well, predestinate is here, so does that mean we're once saved, always saved? Absolutely not. Predestination is speaking of, hey, I've got your seat reserved. All right, now, I've got seats reserved for you in two places, really. The, the hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was never meant for the people of God. So we have the chance because God knows us, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. Hey, come on home. You know, be with me. Hey, your seat is reserved. Stay on track. But you have the will to walk away. You've got the will to say, you know what? I don't want to follow God anymore. I just don't, I don't feel it like that. I just want to move on and pursue something different. God's not going to make you come back to him and worship him. That's the goodness of the spirit because you'll be like Christ. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified them, he also glorified. Now, some people would say, well, you know, God is saying he called them. Yes, he did. God calls all. Many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, but God already knows who's going to be saved. So if you got the Holy Ghost here speaking through Paul, it would seem like it's once saved, always saved, but it's not. God knows who's going to be saved. It's no surprise to him who will and who won't make it. Now, I know some people would say, well, what's the point then? Why should I even try if, you know, he already knows who's going to be? Because while we're in time and space, he's giving you the free will to do that which is necessary to not miss out. But he already knows who won't. That's terrifying. It is. Think about it. That you can be well on your way to hell and, and you don't even know you're going. You're sitting here pretending. But God knows. So we ought to hearken unto his voice and do what he calls us to do so that way we can make it. Verse 31, what shall we say then uh, to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Right. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, uh, how shall uh, he not with, with him also freely give us all things? Exactly. So if God is unselfish to give up Jesus Christ for us who knew no sin, and we're in this situation because of what we chose to do, then we ought to be unselfish too in pursuing him. He saved your life. There's no other way to put it. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen. Again, who is even at the right hand of God? who also maketh intercession for us. So you want to know Jesus. You want to fall in love with Jesus. Because if he is the intercessor for us, it would be foolish of us to not know him. We ought to really pursue him and get into him that we may, you know, you want good things said about you. While you're striving and you're trying, the Father may, I don't know how they talk up there, you know. 
I'm not even going to pretend like I know, but, you know, the father, you know, may be ready to, hey, I think we need to, Jesus, dad, give him a break. You know, dad, I believe he's coming along, you know, just let's work this out. And the father, hey, son, he's with you. Okay, so whatever you say, see, you, we don't understand when Jesus sat at the right hand of the father, the father is still in control, but he's given all dominion over to his son. And if you think about it, it's kind of how awesome the father is, because if you've given dominion over to your son, then that means if Jesus has said many times that God is his father and also his God, then the father doesn't have to run the day-to-day operations. If the son is like the father and the father has given the son dominion, the father is still in charge, but the son now rules everything. But the the son still knows who is his God. Okay, so this is what's awesome about it. So people need to give more respect to Jesus Christ than they think because you got Jehovah Witnesses and other people telling you, well, he's just the son of God. But, oh, Jehovah God is who we pay attention to. Now, Jesus meant for us to to get to know the Father. He came so that the Spirit may come unto us. But I do believe that Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to whom? The glory of the Father. So we can't overlook Jesus like he's some small lawyer trying to work things out in court for you while you pursue the Father. Jesus came that we may know the Father. You know how I interpret that? And I'm not trying to put my own spin on it. What came to us when Jesus died and resurrected? He gave out the Holy Ghost. This is how we know God. This is all that Romans 8 has been talking about. Okay? Dying out to self, accepting the Spirit, and, and becoming under, under adoption of the Father. But we still have to give Jesus Christ his due. I'm not saying pray to Jesus. I'm just saying Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus. But he cannot be overlooked. He has been crowned above every name. So through his name, we have a right with the Father. Because the Father doesn't deal with man. He deals with the spirit of his Son that he imparted to every believer. So outside of the spirit, God the Father doesn't deal with you. That's how important this is. Jesus is the key. He's the intercessor and the key. That's right. There's no getting around that. One thing I wanted to add real quick. Yeah. Something that you said before is that if Jesus Christ wasn't really anything, why is it that you can talk about God, but you mention the name Jesus Christ, and it's just like people get all uncomfortable. Yeah, because right, that, right? then you know what God we're talking about. And you know, there is not the, there's the spirit of Antichrist. Well, yeah, and they call that their God. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's why they're comfortable with that, because you don't know. It's not... Right. Man, in some religions, God can just be a plant in the window, you know? Right. But when you say Jesus, that changes everything. Yeah. Yep. All right. And then when it says who Jesus, who God's elect, God that justifies, we don't have to understand why a lot of people are going to make it into the kingdom. We don't have to get, like some people may say, Lord, why are you saving him after all his filth? Because whom the Lord loveth, he justifies. He decides who's going and who's not coming. He decides, well, I want to give him a hundred chances. But Lord, you only gave me ten. What did he tell Peter? What I give unto, what I do with John, I do with John. What Peter does, he needs to worry about what he worries about. Because we may all, God is no respective persons, but 
God also knows where we all been. He made every single one of us. You don't have to understand why this person is going crazy and why the Lord gave him a chance. He chose to give him a chance. Okay, so whom the Lord loveth, he justified. And that's how we've got to see it. Mind your business and worry about what you do with the Lord and what he does through you. 34. Am I at 34? Yeah. All right. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So not even food, not even persecution, not even having very little, okay, nor, um, you know, destruction. Or, or, um, or the sword or war can separate us from the love of God. But we got to understand that that is our will to want to follow the Lord. This is his Lord. This is his love toward you and I. Now, up to whether or not we believe that is up to us. So these books, th these words are letters in a book until we believe what this is and this word becomes us. Then there comes a change in our lives. But if you don't believe it, you think this Bible is just going to jump up and start working for you? No, you've got to believe what is said and have the word living in you. And who is the living word? Jesus Christ. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now this is the truth. Again, if you see things in the light of how God sees it, or any real Christian that is pursuing God, and you understand, we are killed all the day long. We are like sheep laying down our lives, trying to help other people get into the kingdom. All right? That is the life of a Christian. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that loved us. So this is why I named the study what I named it, because there are many things that Romans 8 talks about. One is dying out to self except in Jesus Christ being full of the Spirit. So there is your sin that needs to be conquered. But then it talks about the enemies that will come against us, and none of these things can keep us from the love of Christ. But then he says that we are more than conquerors, even through persecution, through famine, through nakedness, through all this stuff. Okay, but unless we believe that, who knows? Look at what Paul says in 38. Because people love to read this, but they have very little understanding as to what's said. For I am persuaded, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we recognize here that it's not us who is conquering these things. It is through Jesus Christ that we conquer these things. Because we all know these things are way too much for us. Okay? All right. So from here, we can move on. Um, I do want to... Let's listen to R.W. Sean Buck. I want to have a quick uh, video of him. And then we'll get right back into the lesson. But... He likes to get us fired up, so I love R.W. Shambuck.
They seek perfection on a level that would drive lesser souls to madness. And black magic, we so... Mother, what he had done. And he went 
my money she pleased, Samson well. And after time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now if I'm going to use a text, I'm going to go to the New Testament for that. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy, if you will, a very familiar verse of Scripture.
portion of scripture that I have read to you, the Spirit came upon him mightily when he was confronted with the beast, the lion, in his way. Samson was a man of normal stature. He wasn't built like Goliath, nine and a half foot tall, but he was a normal man. But his mother received a visitation from an angel. Some scholars declare it was Jesus himself that came and talked to his mother. She was barren and never gave birth, but he told her that she was going to bring forth a son and to keep him from strong drink. Don't allow it to come to his lips. Don't allow a razor to come to his hair. He has the Nazarite vow upon him. God said, I'm going to give him supernatural strength. Now, every one of you that are watching tonight, this is for the church that I'm preaching to. God has blessed you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he has anointed you that takes you out of the ordinary realm and puts you into the extraordinary. And I might as well let you know right from the start, the devil's out to destroy you. He's out to kill you. Paul admonishes Timothy to be a good soldier and endure hardness. There's a song we sing, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. I'm a soldier in the army. I told you I could sing. <laughs> Samson had a problem with his flesh. I know you don't want to hear this, but every man knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and you women ain't so dumb either. <laughs> every woman knows what it is to have a problem with the flesh. And as long as you live in the flesh, you will never
when you are confronted with a demon spirit, you will find the Holy Spirit coming upon you mightily so that you can deal with that thing and command it to take leave and cast it out in the name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. Samson wanted to marry a woman from the enemy, the Philistines. Let me bring it closer to home. He wanted a woman of the world. Don't turn the television set off. <laughs> Don't stop the tape. I want you to listen to me. The father and the mother tried to prevent him from doing it. But when it comes to love, there ain't nobody going to tell you what to do. Because when you're in the flesh, you ain't going to listen to nobody in the spirit. men say, when I first saw her, man, I, I, I could have eaten her. She looked so good. <laughs> now, after being married to her for three years, I wish I would have eaten her. <laughs> Samson must have been a fine-looking man. And he wanted this woman from Timnath and he asked his father to go down and get her for him. That's when parents supervise the wedding. And they said, why don't you marry one of your own? There's a lot of women in the church. Why do you have to go out in the world? Out on the dance floor. Down in the ballroom. Some women in the church that are saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost that will make a good companion for you.
He cast more devils out accidentally than most preachers do on purpose. He was a master at it. I'll never forget him as long as I live. I've watched him. Demon spirits trembled when he, right here at 69th Street, out there by that airport on, on that, what's the name of that street?
你叫我谁？谁来帮忙呢？帮你。
devil's command. But you know the devil's stupid. You hear me say this. He don't know when to shut up. Now the devil said, we're all gone. I said, if we're all gone, what you in there talking for? That's one of them lying devils still hanging around there. I called him by a name. I said, you lying devil, you, I command you to come out of her in the name of Jesus. He came out. She started talking in tongues, stayed up all night, filled with the Holy Ghost. She's out preaching the gospel tonight. Are you listening to me? The devils came out of her. And I want to let everybody in Chicago know that you have a brother Jesus destroyed the devil 2,000 years ago. I dare you to turn around and look at somebody and say, I've got more power than the devil. I got more power than the devil. I got more power than the devil. I got more power than the devil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got some time. Hey! 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 Set fire. 
to uh, Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. But you see, that's the kind of preaching that has eluded the church. Mm -hmm. You know, you got more people trying to keep you on the defensive with feelings and emotions instead of letting you know that you've got a real God, okay, that, that is meant for you to never be bound by the enemy. And this is what we're going to get past because this is what's necessary this is why you got 95% of the church not ready to go to war, not ready to do anything for Jesus. And I mean, as far as mentioning going and casting out devils, you see how many people will join you for that. 
A lot of people won't do it. Why? Because they're religious. Yep. Alright, so Exodus chapter 6. This is a time when Moses, uh, the children of Israel were bound. Okay, they were still in captivity. And Moses went to try and deliver the gospel, well, try and deliver the people by telling them, hey, let's go. We can pursue uh, God, you know, and let's get out of here. And it seems like the more Moses tried to deliver them, the worse things got for them. Okay, what ended up happening is they told him, you got to make, we'll take away the straw and you got to try and make bricks your own way. I mean, the, the taskmasters became cruel on them. And this is what you're sure to find whenever someone is bound trying to pursue Jesus Christ and to move on is that the enemy will come on you so hard because of the fact that you're trying to leave. Now, we all know that before you find Jesus, you've made some agreements with Satan. You've made a deal with the devil. So now he's feeling like now that you want to leave and be free, you're betraying me. You think I'm just going to let you walk out the door and do what you want? So he made it hard on Israel, Pharaoh, which was none other than Satan, really, but to try and oppress them so that they would give up. And for a while it started working because these people blamed Moses for bringing them to the truth. And this is what you will find oftentimes when preaching the gospel. People do not want to be set free. People will hate the liberator, the one with the keys in his hand, the one trying to keep you out of bondage, and you want to go and be shackled back up because this is what you're used to. So we've got to get out of that mentality of bondage and become conquerors for Jesus Christ to be able to overcome sin, hell, death, and the grave, just like Jesus. So this is Exodus chapter 6, and Moses came to the Lord and said, Lord... I don't know what to do. You know, they got worse. The people are now blaming me. You know, they want to stone Moses for trying to deliver them. So the Lord said, so the Lord said, um, this is Exodus 6 and 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall I let him go. Shall he let them go? And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. By the name of uh, God Almighty, uh, but by the name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with thee to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers and i have also and i have also heard the groaning of the children of israel whom the egyptians keep in bondage and i have remembered my covenant wherefore say unto the children of israel i am the lord and i will bring you out uh, out from under the burdens of the egyptians and i will rid you out of the bondage out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched forth arm and with a great and with great judgments. So the Lord is making it clear to Moses, don't think that you're out of this situation because things have gotten hard. If God intended for you to be in a situation that it might be overcome, that it will be, then the Lord has got you at the right place at the right time, no matter how rough things may seem. Okay? Verse 7. And I will take you to me for a people 
and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, this is much of what can be said concerning us, because, again, when we go through our stages of being in the world unsaved, we are in Egypt. Okay, Egypt means bondage. Okay, so if you're locked in Egypt, you find the Lord, you know, and then uh, from there you get liberated. You go into the wilderness where you dwell there working things out in your soul. Then from there you go into the promised land, which is the, um, the uh, land that flowed with milk and honey, which is where the Lord would want us to be in the spirit. So anytime you're escaping the world, it's not going to be easy. You're going to get a lot of phone calls from people that were once in your life that you didn't hear from in years. Why? Because you're getting ready to be set free. And this is why I believe anybody that is not of God is of Satan. Because the devil can, you know, it's like a chess game between he and God. If the Spirit of God lives in you, then God will tell you, this is what I need you to do. And because of the Spirit that is in you, you will obey. But if you're of the world... Okay, then the devil controls that realm, and then he can tell you, I need you to give this person a call. He'll put lustful feelings and thoughts or whatever into that person that doesn't even know the Lord, and that person will call you on the phone, just like their master said to do, to try and keep you from being set free. Okay, so anyone that is not of the Lord is of the devil. Verse 8, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an inheritance, I, I mean for a heritage, I am the Lord. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he let the children of Israel go out of his hand. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of um, uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So, see, they're still doubting Moses and Aaron. Well, how are we going to do this? They hate us. The Lord said, I gave you a charge to go and do it. You figure it out when you get there. If I wanted to do it myself, I wouldn't have sent you. And if I thought that you would rely on your own wisdom, I wouldn't be telling you to go. So the Lord is going to equip them with that which they have to do. Now, let's skip to Exodus 14 because, you know, at this point, there were plagues that had gone on that the Lord did deliver Israel just like he said he would. But as they got ready to cross this Red Sea, I mean, I want us to get a clear picture of this. As they decided to go to pursue uh, leaving the world behind, the enemy didn't just let them go. He came after them. Okay, so this is how the devil will double back on you to try and make sure. Are you sure you don't want to fornicate anymore? Are you sure you don't want to do this? Are you sure you don't like these drugs? Because, I mean, man, we used to get high. Are you sure you don't want to do this? Okay, but if you stand strong in the faith, believe in God, he will deliver you from your enemies. Amen. So Exodus 14, and we'll start at verse 1. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, 
speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before, oh boy, Pihararoth, Pihararoth, I guess that's it, between Midgol and the sea, uh, over against Beelzephon, uh, before it shall be, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them um, in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and unto all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Mm -hmm. Now, some people would say, why would the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? You've got to understand what this is about. Mm -hmm. You know, exposure to God determines two things with people. When you deliver people the gospel and you tell them the truth, they're exposed to God. They can either melt like but like butter. You know, you put heat to butter, butter will melt. If you put heat to clay, it will turn hard. Mm -hmm. So exposure to God only shows you what's really inside of you. Right. And this is why we can have a, you know, someone, Miss Baker, you know, that's a good neighbor in the neighborhood, baking cookies for everybody and loving everybody and sending flowers. Mm -hmm. Go and talk to Miss Baker about the gospel and see the reaction that you get. Then you'll start to see demons manifest. Well, don't bring that mess around me. I'm a, I'm a good person. That's all I know. And I don't believe in that trash. And Oh, so you're seeing what is in Miss Baker, really. Not the worldly side of her. What's in the spirit? All right, so it says, um, And I will harden Pharaoh. I read that part. Verse 5. And it was told to king of Egypt, to the king of Egypt, that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took the people with him. And he, and he took 600 chosen chariots. Look at number six. Mm -hmm. And all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. And the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea. Besides um, Pihiharoth, Pihiharoth, uh, before Be uh, Beelzephon. And when uh, Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? So these guys are in an impossible situation. They're pinned up against the Red Sea, and they don't know what they're going to do. Now, Pharaoh and his forces are coming after them, and the people are crying out to God. But more importantly, they're blaming Moses for trying to set them free. Mm -hmm. They're looking at him, well, well, why didn't we just die in Egypt? They didn't understand without being under God that they were already dead. And this is what people have to understand of the world. You are dead on arrival, void of Jesus Christ. Right. You are scheduled for hell. You are scheduled for destruction. 
all the person of God is trying to do to you is deliver the truth to you that you may be set free and that you might live. But people want to fight and defend this world and go against you and tell you, I don't need this. You're missing the very life raft that will save your life. All right, so it says in verse 12, Is not this the word that we um, uh, did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve, in, to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So right away, these guys are looking at their situation as bigger than God. They're calling out to God, but they're not believing God. So what difference does it make? And this is why people don't realize when the Lord has set you free, I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what the enemy is trying to do. If you don't believe God, then he is no good to you, okay? Because this situation seems impossible, and they're now attacking Moses. Verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shew to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, uh, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. So you see, the funny thing about Moses, we got to understand, he's back to deliver the children of Israel. But remember, Moses had his own wilderness. Remember when he killed that Egyptian Pharaoh, that Egyptian guy, who a soldier who was beating one of his um, one of the Israelites. Now Moses was already with them, living like an Egyptian. But you see what was in the heart of Moses, that he decided to be with his people. He would rather suffer with his people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season with the world, living up in king's palaces. So Moses went running for his life, and Moses was in the wilderness, you know, where the Lord took care of him, revealed himself to him. So now Moses is back to deliver the truth. But why Moses' faith is different than the people that are here? is because he had already had his wilderness experience. He had already have enough, had enough experience that while he had nothing, the Lord sustained him, so he was able to tell the people, fear not. Now, Moses didn't know what was going to happen here, but Moses believed God. And that's where it begins, in your belief, not in your circumstances. Okay? Verse 16. But lift up, no, verse 15, I think. Verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. So the Lord is telling Moses, I put you in this position. So in some ways, the Lord handed authority over to Moses. What are you calling me for? I put the authority into you. And this is what happens when we get far enough with the Lord. Man, it's your faith that gets you through. The Lord is like, why are you calling me? I put the rod in your hand. Verse 16, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I beheld and I will hearken to, to hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor unto, upon Pharaoh and upon all his host and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. So we've got to understand the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. I think, honestly, the Lord knew that Pharaoh wouldn't follow him anyways. 
Okay. I think also what's going on here is the Lord had built this Pharaoh up to show his people. I don't care how bad the king is in this world. I don't care about your president. I don't care about your politicians. I don't care about what the New World Order plans on doing. I've built them up so that you guys may see that I am God. And that's how we've got to see it. So this is not an impossible situation. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon the chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them in the pillar of the cloud, went from before their face and stood behind them. Now this is awesome because here where the Lord is our refuge, like Psalm 91 says, he's leading the people out as the light, letting them know, okay guys, come this way. But see, this is something that we can expect if we follow the Lord and do what he calls us to do. When your enemies are coming behind you, guess who they've got to deal with? You got God standing behind you like, hey, you want to get to him, you got to go through me. But God has to be this real to us. So the Lord was in the front, now he's in the back. Like, don't worry about it, I got this. And it came to pass, well, it came, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that they, uh, one came, uh, not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind uh, all that night, and made the dry land, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. I mean, this is an awesome thing, but... One of the funny things concerning this, too, is you got scientists on TV talking about did Moses really part the Red Sea? Because there's a small slither of land in the area near the canal that they're saying at some parts of day, this is probably what happened. The tide went out and they went across. You see how the enemy tries to turn you natural-minded? Because they don't want you believing in your God. They don't even want you to even fathom that God performed a miracle like this. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watched the Lord, looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, uh, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. So imagine these guys going through dry land, and the Pharaoh's chariots are following them, and the Lord is in the face of the waters, snatching off their wheels as they go. I mean, how awesome a God is this? that he's disarming them while they're dragging this thing across. What an awesome God. And those people knew enough to say, man, let's get out of here. I've never <laughs> seen anything like this before. All right, verse uh, 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength, 
uh, when the morning appeared to the Egyptians, I mean, and the Egyptians fled against it, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. So the Lord conquered all these enemies. Now we got to understand, like, why would the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? Why not just let the people go? Because the people would have always pitted in their minds, what if Pharaoh didn't let us go? What would have happened? So you see, this is why God is trying to take us away from all doubt, all unbelief. This God of ours doesn't just want to show us little things. This God wants us to see him in action. Okay, he wants us to be battle tested. He wants us to be proven. Because unless you go through your trials and tribulation, you can't believe God. But you see, when put to the test, the Lord did everything that he said that he was going to do concerning them. And Pharaoh's forces were destroyed. So if you were on the side of the Lord and you saw this, that would give them more faith. That gives the Lord, that give you more faith in God because you've seen what he can do. Okay, so this is why the carnal mind is the enemy of God, because it can't believe God. That's right. Let's go to Exodus 23 and 20. Exodus 23 and 20. All right, so the Lord has given them instruction while they're in the wilderness. Here's what you do, and you won't have any problems. This is Exodus 23 and verse 20, and it says... Behold, I send an angel. That's a capital A. So I believe in many cases that was Jesus Christ, but this angel is a type of Holy Ghost. Okay, it could have even honestly been Michael because they said Michael is the, the chief prince over the children of Israel. Now, I am by no means calling Michael Jesus like the Jehovah Witnesses try and do, but the Bible does say that Michael the archangel was assigned to the children of Israel. All right, so this is what Michael is most likely doing. I will send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. So if this angel is a type of Holy Ghost, and, you know, he, he said to keep you in the way. So the Spirit of God will keep you on track and to bring you into the place that he's prepared. What is the place that God has prepared? Eternal life. Okay, the Holy Ghost is only here for one reason, to bring us back to Jesus Christ if we stay following the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So this, this angel is only going to obey God and not help you get into your sin. But he's saying, beware of him, pay attention to him, obey his voice and provoke him not. What does the Bible tell us about? not offending the Spirit, not grieving the Holy Ghost. If we're engaged in sin, the Holy Ghost is grieved because He's trying to get us to do that which is right. And if the Spirit lives in you, this is why you feel cut to your heart when you mess up. Because, you you know, you're grieving Christ inside of you. That's right. All right, so He will not pardon your transgressions. Transgressions are, are things, are sins that you know are wrong and you decide to go beyond. All right, verse 22. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. So this angel of the Lord 
Well, I would say the Holy Ghost, if you do what God is asking you, you don't have any battles to fight. And this is why the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. Because this is what the Spirit will do. He will protect us. Even when we're too dumb to see what's going on, He clearly sees the situation. All right, verse 22, uh, verse 33, um, 23. For mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and to the Hittites and to the Parasites and to the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Okay, so the Lord is saying that if we obey the angel, which is the spirit, we will go into the place that the Lord, the Lord is not going to take you away from war. And this is why a lot of church people have got to stop kidding themselves. Okay, because when the angel of the Lord is leading you, when the Holy Ghost lives in you, he's bringing you toward the battle, not to run away from it. He's going to bring you in. Now, you know that all these tribes that we just named were races of giants, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. He's saying, I'm bringing you in unto them to do battle with them and to conquer them. Not to run away from them. Not to stay in your little prim proper place and not want to engage in the battle. Alright, so the Lord said he will cut them off. Verse 24. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them and, break, and quite break down their images. Now, we got to understand here what the Lord is doing concerning not worshiping their gods. This is important. If you want to stay up under the Lord, then you got to ask the Lord to reveal the idolatry in your own heart. If you want the Lord to fight for you, he's not going to fight for a harlot. Okay, he freed the harlot from the whorehouse. He's not bringing, he's not going to continue with you in your ways. So he chose someone unfaithful, filthy of the world. But when you walk with him... You've got to obey him and have no other gods. So this is something we all got to seek. I don't care if it's TV. I don't care if it's music. Whatever it is, it can be work. If you have any other idols, the Lord is not going to go for it. And he says to break them down. Now, in the Old Testament, there are images. In the New Testament, there are what? Imaginations. Imaginations. So hold where you are. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians, everyone there, chapter 10. We'll start at verse, uh, let's start at verse 3. Second Corinthians, chapter 10, and verse 3. Almost there. Right. Second Corinthians 10 and 3, and it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So this tells us right here, that everything physical has a spiritual component, okay? And then it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So you see now as the Spirit has been imparted to us, that it moved from one level to another. 
Because everything in the Old Testament under the law was physical. You build idols, you cut sacrifices, and you make to the Lord. Everything was physical, even though it had a spiritual backing. So the images, if you cast them down, what started happening in the book of Kings? People, another king would come and build them right back up. Okay, so these are things that, you know, they couldn't exactly be conquered. But you see how it moved from images, breaking down images, to casting down imaginations. Because the Lord is making it clear here that it begins in your thoughts. It doesn't begin in what you've built. It begins in the thoughts. If your thoughts are right towards Christ, then the imagination is subdued. Then you've got no imagination to build an image. So an image is just a, a um, I don't want to say product, but the image is just like a reflection of what the imagination holds. Right. People, what they draw, what they say, what they get into, how they even believe God is all a part of what's in the imagination or if they even believe God. So he's talking about casting down imaginations and bringing every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So a lot of the thoughts that we went into, the Lord can take away. But in order to have obedience, like they talk about following this angel, you have to first break down those images. So you see how it's, it's still together, even though it's Old Testament and new. So we can head back. But I just wanted to make that point real quick. And, you know, it's so funny. Where I work, they want to talk about helping the children out. You know, this is really bizarre. You help the children out, but you like the same rap music that they like. You know, you're into the same stupid video games that they're into. You're into all this stuff, but so basically demons are going to be setting free demons. No, basically you're soothing the savage beast because you're trying to appease them instead of giving them what they need. You have not yet realized that it's your laws, that it's your rules, that it's your music that are corrupting the young. Yeah. This is how demons are getting in. But they talk about giving them more breaks and put your arm around them. They just need hugs. No, what they need are demons out of their lives, and they get they need to know Jesus Christ. And this is how a lot of people fall short because their their solution is physical. And we know that we're battling we're not battling flesh and blood. So Exodus twenty three and verse twenty. Uh twenty, where am I? Twenty three. Uh twenty five. Exodus 23 and 25, and it says, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness from the midst of thee. Now, don't let this shoot by us, because this is a mouthful. Mm -hmm. We want to know why we're deprived of certain things. He said, he, he will give you thy bread. So the Lord will sustain you. When he says that, and thy water, and I will take sickness from the midst of thee. This is why if we just hearken unto the Lord and do what he says, he's going to bless you. Like our sister here, he is going to bless you. There is no doubt about it. Because you decide to follow him in faith. Don't you already see the thing, the benefits of things happening? He's going to do exactly what you need to happen because you're obeying him. So this is what we need to do because I remember... In sin, in the world, doing things, man, I couldn't make two nickels rub together. It was just so hard. Like, man, why am I always broke? Right. That's because you're always giving to the world and you won't let God supply you. Right. To be honest with you, you're better off in the world than becoming a transgressor. Because a person of the world will make their means, you know, by the world. And that's why a lot of them appear like they're rich. Even though they don't know the Lord, those things don't mean a thing. 
But you see, when you become a transgressor means you know the Lord, but you're still reaching over unto the world. Man, you're in a worse situation because you're one of his. So I'm not going to supply you and neither is the world. So you're stuck in the middle trying to mooch off of both sources and God doesn't play that. So that's why it seems like when you didn't know Jesus, you had more. Because you were being sustained by the world, but it wasn't really anything that could take care of you like having the spirit. But once you've accepted him and you transgress, man, it's like I can't get back over there really. Because I know my conscience is telling me to stay where I am. But now I'm broke because I'm not faithful to my God. Mm -hmm. So you see how things can happen? Kind of like you're in the middle. Exactly. That's why the Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. All right, so it says in verse 26, There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land, and number of thy days I will fulfill. And I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And we have seen this. I mean, whether it's in work and other places, man, I got a battle coming up on Wednesday, and I'm looking forward to it. Why? My God gets to have more glory. That's right. Okay, so I don't care what these people are talking about. They want to do to me and this and that. Praise the Lord that the devil wants to come after me. Mm -hmm. Because that means I'm on the side of Jesus Christ. That's right. I'm looking forward to the Lord taking them down like bowling pins. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go to um, verse 28. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. And I will drive them out from before thee, and, and I won't, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. Another key point, speaking from yesterday, or the Old Testament, and the New Testament. He's saying, I will send hornets that will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite. If those are giants in the Old Testament... They are demons today. Okay, so we already know this, that the demons, are, a demon is a disembodied spirit. They are from the spirits of the giants. Mm -hmm. But because everything is spiritual now, you see how the giants are still around? Mm -hmm. They're still in your life. And the Lord is saying, I will drive them out. Right. But he says, I won't do it in one year. Okay, so sanctification takes time. He said, lest the beast of the field multiply against thee. Okay, so from here, hold where you are, and we're going to go to Luke 11. Luke 11 and 21. start in verse 19. Luke 11 and verse 19. Almost there. Alright. Luke 11 and 19 and it says, And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
So if you cast out devils in the name of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is upon you, that this has been done. But they're calling Jesus Lord of the dung hell. That's what Beelzebub means. Okay, so they tried to defile his name. Verse 21, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. So the strong man, we did a teaching on that, so you guys can look that up on Sound of Trumpet Ministries, soundoftrumpetministries.com, but the strong man is basically the top demon that has control in your life, okay? He's the one that it seems like you try and get so far with the Lord, or, you know, it can be false religion, it can be anything, but when you try and tell people, hey, man, this is wrong, and I want you to come to Jesus, that that strong man and that individual will raise up. Now, it's not the same thing for every people. Some people, it could be homosexuality. Some people, it could be, um, you know, whatever sins are out there. But it can be something. It could be false religion. You try and bring them out, and you say something about Islam. You say something about anything, and they'll rise up, you know, and let you know, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm in the truth. My family's in this. So when a stronger than that strong man comes into the house and overcomes him, he divideth his spoils. So this is how the Holy Ghost will come upon people. He has to be stronger than the strong man to bind the devil. In many cases, when you're casting out devils and you know what the chief demon is or the main sin that that person has that's, bind them, that's binding them, if you call that out in the name of Jesus or you deal with that spirit first, then the others will come out easy. Okay, but that is the root demon, the one that refuses to go. Right, and I tell you a big one for a lot of people are rejection and pride. Mm -hmm. Those are the two that are the hardest to bring out of people. All right, fear is another one. All right, so then it says, uh, verse uh, 23, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Uh, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. So when an unclean spirit is taken out of a person, you know, the demon walks around in dry places. They can't find any. And then they, um, they double back on you to see if there's any Holy Ghost in you or if you're living in the spirit. Okay, so it says, um, and it says, I will return to my house whence I came out. And when he uh, cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. So when he comes back and he finds no Holy Ghost, you're not walking with Jesus, you're not living the Christian way, then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So we understand here that this is why uh, the Lord promised Israel I can't take it from you in one year, okay? It's got to be gradual. So every part that comes out of you, the Holy Ghost begins to fill. Why? Because if everything is taken out of you at once, the Lord knows that you cannot be the new wine, okay? I mean, you cannot be the new jar holding the new wine. You'll break. You just don't have enough understanding. You, you don't have enough in you to make this work out, okay? So this is why... 
the the beast won't multiply. Um, again, the beast will multiply if you just try and get everything, get rid of everything at once. The Lord knows that you don't understand this. So this is why he's gradually taking things out of your life. That way the Lord can build that house and you be built up in the spirit. Okay, so that you will not fall because Christ is fully formed in you. But when you start dropping everything and everything's out of you, if you don't have enough faith to cover that, the beast will come back against you. Okay, so this is what it means. Does that make sense? All right, back to Exodus 23. And we'll, and I don't remember where we stopped. I'll find it. All right, Exodus 23, and I believe, um, I'll start at 29 again, and it says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So you see, until you get into the spirit, the Lord gradually takes these things out. And I will set thy bounds, and I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert, from the river, and I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. So this was the point where the Lord wanted them to participate. Okay, this angel is taking you through everything, and he's fighting for you. But now there comes a point where that angel or the, the spirit has to be fully formed in you so you can participate in the battle. Now, this is what happens in Numbers 14. When they looked across the land, they saw these giants and the giants wanted to stop them. They had fear. They got so used to the Lord fighting every single battle for them that they didn't realize that it took faith to keep going. The Lord is only fighting your battles to have more faith in him to be more active in what's going on. But some people, church people, don't figure this out. They want to stay in the in theater-style seating, do absolutely nothing, and expect God to do everything for them. As he told Moses, I put the staff in your hand. What are you calling me? I sent you to deliver the people. So Moses had to believe God and do what he said to make it happen. So you're not going to be in the back seat forever as the Lord sanctifies us. Eventually, the Lord is going to drive. Well, he will be the car, but eventually he'll trust you to drive it. Not through our might, but through Christ formed in us to do these things. Right. All right, so let's, um, where am I? I think it's um, verse 32, right? Yeah, and it says, Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in the land, lest they make thee sin against thee. Uh, for if thou serve their gods, I will surely be a, they will, it will surely be a snare unto thee. So he's telling them how to stay on track so that they may become conquerors. Don't worship their gods. They'll make you sin. And this is why we can't be around sinners and expect things to go good. Now, when Christ is formed in you, you can go wherever you want, where the Spirit leads you, because he's trusting Christ in you to get the job done. Right. All right, so for me, let's get into some inspiring scriptures, because there's a lot here. So let's go into uh, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32.
That's why we got to let the Lord build the house so that it will not fall. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. I will start at verse 19, and it says, And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. So these are the people that are not doing the Lord's will. Again, hard-headed children of Israel. <laughs> and when the Lord saw it, uh, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very forward, like perverse generation, children in whom is no faith and they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God they have provoked me to anger and with their vanities and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation so the Lord you know says okay you don't want no God you don't want a God then I'll have no people and this is why the children of Israel found themselves in captivity many times this is why when he went, when Jesus went to the Jew, okay, they, they wouldn't listen, the children of Israel, that he went to the Gentile. You know, I've had enough. Whoever will hear the truth. And this is why you got a lot of people moved with jealousy to this day. Verse 22, for a fire is kindled in mine anger, and I shall, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her uh, increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains, and I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burned with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. And I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. Now remember, he told them if they stayed up under the angel, what they would have. What did they decide to do? They decided to test him and see if this is true. And again, you know, they found out. Let's skip down to um, uh, let's see. Anybody can add anything if they want. <laughs> Everybody's just ready to get out of here, huh? If we talk less, we'll hurry up and get out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though, that um, just as the Lord told Israel everything that would happen to them if they stayed up under him, mm -hmm. and everything that would happen to them if they decided not to stay underneath them, the same is with us. You know, that, that is true. Um, you know, if we claim to be a child of God, if we claim to be servant of Jesus Christ, then we have to be exactly what we claim to be. It's not enough to just say what we are. You know, you can't just say it. I mean, we got to do it. You know, we got to stay safe. You know? Exactly. And we got to tell people we got to walk, we got to we got to walk out on faith and, and know that the Lord is there with us when we do. Exactly. I know where I am now. Verse 25. Okay. The sword without and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin the suckling also, and with the man of gray hairs. So you see, when the Lord proclaims a judgment, no one gets spared. Mm -mm. All right, Even the virgins, the babies, the men with gray hairs, the older people, you know, they're all going to suffer because they would not listen. Verse 26, 
I said I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. So when they've turned themselves away from the Lord, you forget me, I forget you. Verse 28, For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock, that is a capital R, had sold them, and the Lord had shut them off? So the Lord is saying, if they would have followed him, you know, while they were following the Lord, the children of Israel could not be beaten. You didn't have to go army to army. He said one should put a thousand to flight, two should put ten thousand to flight. This is the church. All it takes is one or two people to stand up in the Lord, and you'll see what God can do. And that's why Jesus said, where well, there are two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. All it takes is for you to believe. But a lot of people won't. Oh, I need a congregation. I need a group to come with me. You better learn to walk by yourself because there's no telling where people's faith is going to go when things get hot. You know, I mean, I don't care. Even if it's me, if I'm somebody that refused to go, leave me behind and go forward with Jesus. Why? Because I'm not your salvation. Right. Our trust is in him and no one else. Right. All right, let's move on. Isaiah 54, we'll start at verse 11. is the Lord also making promises to the children of Israel. You know, it's like he's never taken his hands off them. And you know what? He hasn't taken his hands off of his church either. But unless we believe God, we can't have the things of God. That's right. All right, Isaiah 54 and 11, and it says, O thou afflicted, tossed uh, with tempest, and not, and not comforted, uh, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows and a gates, and thy gates of carbuncle, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. So these are this is a promise to the children of Israel, but to all that overcome. Verse 14, And righteousness shalt thou be established, Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. So that sounds a lot like Psalm 91. Don't fear terror, it won't come towards you. And we got to remember these words in the coming days. Verse 15, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. Verse 17, 
No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. There is, I mean, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So, see, we can't, we've got to escape where we are and truly pursue Jesus because Man, there's going to be all hell breaking loose around us. But every promise that he promised those of his heritage, he will give. And we have got to believe this. It is nothing to you if you don't believe what the Lord is telling us. We need to get out there and do what is necessary. But first get built up in Jesus Christ. Because, you know, the Lord has already spoke to my spirit. A lot of people are going to be left behind. A lot of people are not going to see this the way that you see it. Right now, you got brothers and sisters all over that are, that are telling you, oh, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, we can do this. Wait till the spot gets hot when you've got something to lose. When there's a piece of you in the world that the devil can still pull, he's going to pull it. And that's why Jesus said be extracted from this so that way the devil has nothing in you. Let's go to... Um, Deuteronomy 28. You know, we were just there. You guys like, why don't we just stay there? Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 28 and 1, and it says... And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thine kind, and the flocks of the sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. So these are nothing but blessings that the Lord has given them if they stay up under him. Verse 7, the Lord shall cause thine enemies that shall, that shall rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. I mean, imagine this, where the enemy will come in against the people of God and he will raise a standard against them that they'll flee from you. You want to see this because this will make you have all the faith in the Lord that is necessary. This is all about faith and pursuing him. Verse 8, the Lord shall command uh, the blessing upon thee in thine storehouses and in all that thine settest, uh, thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And this is why America is getting ready to learn a real valuable lesson. You want to turn against God? No wonder the economy is collapsing. What did they say? Um, evil walks on every side when the vilest men are exalted. 
So when you got the vilest people exalted in society, that's because evil's walking everywhere. So there is no God in the land. And America is going to find this out the hard way. Okay, but we've got to remember what the Lord told us because if we overcome, every promise that he has given us is ours. All right, because soon he's going to put us on the offensive. He's not going to leave it like this. Let's go to Daniel 3. Daniel chapter 3. Exactly. And we're going to hear about the furnace right now. I'll stay quiet. <laughs> no, that's cool. Daniel 3 and verse 1, and it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score uh, cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So this is an image of a man. That is three score cubits is 60 cubits high, and the width of it is six cubits. I imagine, you know, because this is also an image of Antichrist 666. The number of a man and the height and the width all measure six. But I imagine that this looks like an Oscar because this thing is tall and thin. Okay, so I'm getting the impression that usually you get an Oscar, right, when you achieve great things, right. and they give you this image award or this male image of man. It's right. an image of a man for all your achievements. So I believe that this is what an Oscar is. It is the image of a man. I don't know how tall one is, but I should look it up. Because it may be astonishing that it's six inches wide right. and maybe, you know, what, yeah, 16 inches high? That makes sense. Because They're pretty good size. Mm-hmm. No <laughs> so you know when an actress or a, a singer, they reach their, their high, mm-hmm. they get that. Because mm-hmm. they've done everything that they have but owed. The devil told them. Yes, to do. they've done everything they've owed. Uh-huh. So now they get that. So you're right. That mm-hmm. is definitely what it is. Oh, yeah. So this is the image that he made. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province, the provinces are to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So we've got to see what is going on here. If Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler of the world at this point, because there was no kingdom at this time stronger than Babylon, Look at how he has the princes. So he's got the rich, the governing people. Then he has the governors, you know, which are like politicians. He's got the captains, which are like military. He's got the judges, which are the law. All right. Then he's got um, the treasurers, which handle the money, the economy. Then you got the counselors, which are like your education system. And you got the sheriffs to enforce the law. So you see how the enemy controls every aspect of society. All right, so it says, verse 3, Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. 
and they stood before the image uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So everybody get a real good look of all the people that are going to be against you. All the people that are going against the people of God, it'll be the whole world. All right, verse 4. Then in herald cried aloud to you, uh, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. So this is a glimpse at the end times. What is the Antichrist going to do? What is it that Nimrod tried to do? He tried to rule over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Remember they said everyone would receive the mark except those that were of the Lamb, that were of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. So we understand that this is, you know, the worship of Antichrist, because this is not the God of the Bible. And at this time, Nebuchadnezzar was not a servant of God. Verse 6, And whoso falleth not down and worship, uh, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now hold where you are. We're going to go to Revelation 13 real quick. And we're going to make a comparison. And we'll come right back. Revelation 13. All right. So it says. I will start at verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. So if you notice. Nebuchadnezzar could have been a type of dragon that is giving power unto the image. Okay? So worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God, and to blaspheme his name, I mean blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. So the Bible is making clear here that those that don't worship this beast, because it actually goes down uh, further, and um, let's see. All right, verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Mm -hmm. So you see that? They're commanding worship, and if you don't do it, then you'll be killed. So this is just a quick prophecy or, or um, um, symbolic for the end times, what is expected of the people of God. So we can go back to Daniel 3. Sorry to keep cutting it off, but but what do we care? We serve the true and living God, and that is how we've got to see this. We cannot have fear of these things. 
So he said they'll be thrown in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So this is Daniel 3 and 7. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people and nations and the, lang and the languages fell down. So this is just like Revelation 13. And worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man uh, that uh, shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Okay, so they're now telling on some of the people of God. Verse 11, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews, and this is us, guys, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they're now blaming them, saying, oh, these guys are not serving. This is what's going to happen when they find out that you're praying in school, when they find out that you're delivering the gospel to people at work, when they find out that you have an issue with homosexuality because your father has an image with homose an issue with homosexuality, they're going to come in this manner. They'll go to the principal. They'll go to the, to the board of directors. They'll go to whomever they have to to see to it that you pay for not following their rules. Okay? Uh, let's see. And Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar speak and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the blah, blah, blah music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? You hear the boldness of this man? Mm -hmm. He doesn't realize that he's talking to the conquerors of those that are in Christ Jesus. Right. But this is exactly what it will be like when you're working. Oh, I, I'm just going to find out if you said this, if this is true. Now, you've got a chance to sign this, that you won't do this anymore. Go back to your life and do what I tell you, or you will be let go this day. We've got to be ready to answer this call. We don't let this catch you by surprise. Because if you're not built up in Christ, you don't know what you won't do. A lot of our trials and tribulations would have already taken place if we had stood for Jesus. Right. But you know, at one point, we were all cowards. Mm -hmm. You know, you heard certain things, and you, I'm not going to say anything because i got to keep my job. You know what you've done? You're bowing to the beast. Mm -hmm. You have already taken the mark. You may not have taken it physically yet, but if those things don't change... Your heart and mind, your works and your mind are already ready to accept it in your right hand or in your forehead. So we've got to be against the works of the enemy. 
And this is going to take time to be built up in, but this is going to come on people swiftly. And you've got to know the God that you serve. All right, so he said, who is this God that shall deliver you out of my hands? This is what the world is doing when they signed off on homosexuality. When anyone that won't marry gays will be thrown in jail. You know, this is, this is when prayer was taken out of schools. This is when now they're going to pass a law soon about, um, what is it called? Uh, genocide to preach the gospel. So when these things start coming, we're going to find out who really worships God and who truly believes that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because this guy here is talking pretty bold about who is this God that's going to deliver you. He's going to find out. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. So they understood you might be king, but as far as I'm concerned, you're just a man. I'm not careful to explain myself to you. I'm not going to be polite to you. And you're asking me who my God is. I'm going to speak in boldness and the truth because greater is he that is in me than is in the world. And you have got to believe this. Okay? Because these are the trials. These are the things that we're going to be put through to find out who you are. So they told him, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. So you act like we got to come before you and, oh, um, that was me, sir, but... Um, I recognize I'm wrong, and I'll be good. Oh, what I got to do, sir? No, none of that's going to go on. He's letting them know, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. Like, I'm glad you asked, because this gives us a chance to defend our God. Verse 17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So they say, yeah, we'll acknowledge you as a king, but you're nothing compared to my God. But, you know, there is an interesting story about um, the book of Jasher actually speaks about that Abraham was actually in a similar situation. The Bible does reference the book of Jasher, so it is valid. But Abraham, because he uh, broke up his father's images and would, and would not obey these um, other gods, that Abraham and a friend of his were thrown into a fiery pit. And Abraham's friend died, and Abraham was walking around in the fire, uh, not burned. Mm -hmm. Now, could they have drawn their faith from this? I believe so. You know, now I'm not, even if it didn't happen, we've got enough things in this Bible to show God and his glory. The only question is not whether or not it happened, it's if you believe it. If you believe that this is God, that's what makes the difference. All right, so they said, we don't care. Verse um, 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that, will, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they made it clear, even if God doesn't save us out of this fire, we are not going to bow down to you. So their minds were already focused on the supernatural, the next life, being with Jesus Christ, because I believe that that's who the Lord of the Old Testament was. All right? They said, man, even if he doesn't, you're not going to get your wish from me. So I don't want people to get all psyched up when I'm talking about the Lord will deliver them, that if they stand bold for the job, that they'll keep the job. Because that's not what I'm saying at all. We manage to keep our jobs in dealing with stuff. But I'm saying they may get to a point where, you know, the Lord may require more. 
It doesn't mean that he's going to rule in your favor concerning a job. It means you might actually get fired and the Lord will still take care of you. That's right. But he needs to know every now and then, where's your faith? Where's your loyalty to me? And this is the only true way we can be overcomers. In order to be overcomers, you've got to overcome. That is just that simple. Verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage, his face, was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it want, not to, than it want to be heated. So this is also a prophecy of the end times when they talk about seven years of tribulation. This is the time where it's going to get ten times hotter and we're going to find out who's playing Jesus, who's playing a good Christian, and who's in it for real. Because you see, with a dead person, like we talked about before, you can kick a body, you can burn it, do whatever, and the body, will, you get no response. But see, if you're playing dead, and then you get tried or someone likes a match next to you and you jump up. See, you were okay to be kicked. But when I lit that match up under you, you proved that you were just faking it. So this is why the Lord has to try us in a furnace of affliction because he needs everything that is in you burned off of you. And unfortunately, we're all going to go through this. And you know how long it's going to go on? Until Christ be fully formed in you. When God looks at it like you can take gold and gold, when it has impurities, has yellow and all this other stuff. But when the gold is pure, they said it's so beautiful that you can see the, your reflection in it. God wants to see his reflection in us. And all these impurities, all this worldly stuff has to come off so we can overcome. Verse 20. And he commanded the most mighty men uh, that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. So he had them bound up and thrown in. Then these men were bound. Oh, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen in their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar kept his, you know, kept his word. All right, you know, your boss may keep his word. You don't obey, you're gonna get fired. So they're bound in this fire. I want you guys to take a look at this, verse 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the fire was so hot that the men that opened the door and threw them in, they were killed right on the spot. Verse 23, And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So these guys are bound. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So this tells you right then and there that they were bound in the fire, but they were loosed while in the fire. So this is why the Lord wanted to take the children of Israel and lead them into war, lead them into conflict, lead them into battle, so that every form of unbelief, everything that has them bound, everything of the world, everything of Egypt, would come off of them. 
So now they can be loosed and now they're with the Son of God. So you see, you cannot be bound to anything to walk with Jesus. When Jesus went to the colt, loose the colt that I may ride it. He couldn't ride the donkey bound up. And this is why a lot of people are bound and overcome by religion when the Lord wants you to follow him. You've got to be spirit to spirit with Jesus Christ. Right. John 16. We're about to end. I knew I wasn't going to go through all of this. start at verse 22 John 16 and 22 and ye now therefore have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no more I mean no man taketh from you and in that day ye shall ask me nothing verily verily I say unto you whatsoever ye shall ask the father in my name he will give unto you why because they're following Jesus 24 uh, hitherto uh, have ye asked nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive. Okay, yeah, ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall shew you plainly of the Father. So he's saying there's going to come a time we won't have distance with the Lord you'll be able to understand because the Spirit will be added unto them. Verse 26, At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not uh, unto you, that I will pray the Father for you. Uh, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this uh, we believe that thou camest forth from God. So they now have faith in hearing what Jesus Christ has said. You know, a lot of people may gain faith in hearing what we're saying, but one thing we got to understand is, this isn't it yet. This is just to build faith. Look at verse uh, 31. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? That's a question. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, uh, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So he's saying, you guys now believe because you heard of the revelation and the things that I've said? He said, behold, that hour is going to come where you guys are going to be scattered, everyone running for his life, and none of you are going to be with me. You guys are going to be running for your lives. So don't take this as in, you've got it that way. Verse 33, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, 
but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he's overcome the world, and he's expecting us to do the exact same thing. Okay, that is the only way to be on the side of where Jesus Christ is. John 14, verse 25. John 14 and 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have uh, said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth thee, I mean give, um, give, but uh, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now, and, and I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye will, re I mean, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto my father, for my father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much uh, with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, uh, even so I do arise, let us go hence. So he's making it clear that as he loved the Father, the world knows that he loves the Father simply by him obeying and doing what is asked. The people will know that we love Jesus by doing what he has asked. Okay, so there is no getting past it. But one thing he made clear is the ruler of this world has nothing in him. Okay, because the devil, when you start getting free, he's going to search for things. If there's any fear, he'll find it. If there's any lust, he'll find it. If there's anything that you greed, anything, lying, whatever it is, if it's still in you, the devil will pull it out of you. So we have to be detached. John 12, 20 through 32 talks about the prince of this world is cast out. So why are we even fearing him? Mm -hmm. He's already been cast out. The prince of this world, the Bible says, he's also been judged. Okay, so why are we fearing him? Jesus had already crushed him. So what is it that's keeping us from doing it? Our belief. We've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Right. Um, Revelation 1, and we're done. We'll start at verse 1, and it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to shew unto his servants things um, which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angels unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So why did the Lord tell us this? To remember 
because we will have our trials and tribulation come upon us. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. Jesus is, that means he's always existed. He was, he came and went and which is to come because he is returning. So he truly is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So you put your trust in him, you will exist. All right, verse, um, where am I? Uh, verse 5. And from Christ Jesus, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood, and have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 10, Finally, my brethren, you know, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his Christ. Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day. Well, you can't find days more evil than this, but it's going to be worse. Yeah. Okay, but isn't in the power of Jesus Christ, not in our own might. Where am I? Verse 6 or 7? Seven. 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth, shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Uh, and the Lord, uh, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of patience um, of uh, Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John here, while he's getting this revelation of Jesus, he's on the Isle of Patmos in exile, left to survive on his own. So even the people of God suffer. You guys should look up a book called, I don't know how accurate it is, but I heard from many scholars it is, but it's called Fox's, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs. But it'll tell you how every single disciple died. Okay? Yeah, Peter died. I mean... I don't know if he was hung upside down the way that the Bible explains it. I don't know, you know, but um, I mean, James got killed by Herod just for kicks. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, John in the Isle of Patmos, Paul died in prison. Mm -hmm. These guys had gone through real stuff pursuing Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he said, I'm your brother in patience and in tribulation. I'm not your brother somewhere watching you suffer while I live the good life. He's in the battle. Verse 10, and he went there for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice of a trumpet, as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So these were the churches at the time in Asia. The Lord told him to write this unto them. Or he's writing for the Lord. Verse 12, 
And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven uh, candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed uh, with a garment uh, down to the foot, and girt about the paps with the golden girdle. So this is what the Lord looks like. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and uh, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So people expect God to have this soft, sweet, you know, baby voice. You know, he's telling them here that he has this, a voice deep as the sound of many waters. That's why I believe a friend of mine that was going through a rough time, I'm not going to say her name for the sake of whatever, but she was in a situation with an abusive dude. This guy was strangling her, okay? I mean, had her in the kitchen strangling her with, I forgot, wasn't it like a zip tie or something? Oh, and she yeah. was trying to break free, mm -hmm. and they, he, somehow he got her up against the wall. And he was choking her, ready to kill her. And at this point, she was unsaved. But she said she heard a voice call out to her and say, it's not your time. And she said the voice was deep. And the whole door behind them shattered. Mm -hmm. It didn't just like unhinge. The whole door shattered. And she fell back on top of him. And she was able to get free and, you know, do what she needed for help. You know, she had to fight or do whatever. But when people say God's voice is... I do believe he can speak with a soothing voice, but he has a voice, the sound of many waters. Our God is God. He's not some little weakling that people want to tell you he is. You know, verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So God here, this is how bad our Jesus is. He has the keys of death and hell. The two places that people fear. And I'm sorry we didn't have time to go into it, but... Remember when he said in Matthew 12, um, like, um, you're going to get a sign like Jonah was in the whale, in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights. And he talked about him going into the heart of the earth. Well, he went into hell to minister unto the spirits that were there. So you got 1 Peter 3. You guys can read that in your spare time. And there is, um, what's the other scripture? Colossians 2. Yeah. When he went in and took over all principalities and powers, okay, and he reigned over them, okay, so he broke into hell and took the keys of death and hell and freed those from the Old Testament, that's why they were up marching around when Jesus died, but this is how bad your Lord is, that he doesn't even death, hell, and the grave fear and obey him, he's got the victory over these things, so what do we look like fearing man? You know, if Christ is formed in you, you can't have fear. And this is why he says perfect love casteth out fear. Why? Because if Jesus Christ is formed in you, what does he look like getting behind you talking about, I'm behind you all the way, pal. You know, go and deal with it. 
You know, I'm not going to get in it. No, if Jesus is in you, you're going to have the heart and mind of Jesus. You're not going to have fear. Okay, so this is how we truly become more than conquerors, because he that is in you is greater than that which is in the world. And unless we have him formed in us, we can never be conquerors. It doesn't matter what, what Romans 8 says. Do you believe it is what this really boils down to. Okay, so from here, I don't know if Sarah has something to um, present and then we can get out of here. But, you know, we can be more than conquerors in Jesus right. if we believe him. If he's dealt with Moses, he dealt with David, he dealt with all the others, then he's going to free you too. That's right. He's Amen. the same God. He doesn't change. Okay. We'll have us go to Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 45. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus in His holy name. That's right. I tell you. <laughs> right. So, Ezekiel 20 and verse 45. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face towards the south, and drop thy words towards the south, and prophesy against the forest of the south field. And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in thee, and it shall, and it shall devour every green tree, every dry tree. The flaming, fire, the flaming flame shall not be quenched, and all faces of the south to the north shall be burned therein. And all flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then said I, All Lord God, they say of me, doth, now, doth he speak in parables. Now, these verses here, I believe, are two sequential events. One is judgment upon Jerusalem and Israel. In, verse 20, in chapter 21, it actually goes into more detail about that. But I also believe that this flaming flame that it is talking about is the Holy Spirit in future times, today's times. And I'm going to talk about that as well a little bit here. But when it talks about the forest, when it said, Drop thy words toward the south and, and say unto the forest, well, the forest can also be people. And we've seen that in when it talks about in the New Testament. Um, you can also see that in Matthew 7, 17 through 20, when it talks about a good tree bringing forth good fruit, or an evil tree bringing forth evil fruit. So trees, vines, forests, many times in the Bible refers to people. Okay? And when, it, when I mean by the, the flaming fire, or the flaming flame being the Holy Spirit, and it shall not be quenched. Well, because, you know, when the Lord imparts His Holy Spirit, un and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit all night. So when the flaming, when that Holy Spirit is imparted unto us, the Lord imparts, He sets us on fire. 
When someone says they have the Holy Spirit, it says, man, they are on fire for the Lord. Why is that? Because they got the Holy Spirit in their lives. And we've been talking about tonight about when you go out and you talk to people about the Lord, God is a consuming fire. So what's going to happen is that they're either going to hear the word and like, like he spoke about tonight, and they're going to melt like butter or they're going to be hard as clay. One of those two things are going to happen, but it's not going to put out the Holy Spirit. In verse uh, Hebrews 12... 28 and 29 also talks about God being a consuming fire. And it reads, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, when it says godly fear, yeah, we have to have that reverence. But verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. So we should be fearing God because He can place us into hell if we don't have him in our lives. Deuteronomy 4.24 talks about him being a fire. Isaiah 33 and 14 talks about him being a fire. But this here talks about that Holy Spirit coming down. God is going to judge this land, this country, with his Holy Spirit in us. We are going to have that Holy Spirit in us when our calling and our election is sure. So that's what I have tonight. Awesome. Yeah, so I guess, you know, we don't need to beat a dead horse. You know, our God is still the same God. And we just have to understand that, you know, you're either with him or you're against him. The war is already won. But what are we going to do as far as the battle is concerned? Because that's the part that endures. There's a greater battle than the battle of the Armageddon. And that is the battle for your soul. Right. Either we're going to stay on the, on the course with the Lord. He doesn't need you when he comes back and you're fighting by his side. That's already been won. The devil already knows. The Bible makes clear his time is short. Okay? So from here, we can close out, but we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Amen. But we have got to believe it. Right. Or it means absolutely nothing. So from here, we're going to pray out. Um, any volunteers? If not, I'm going to select. I got a choice. Nope. All right, let's choose. I'll choose Melissa. <laughs> Next time. Dear Lord, thank you for this time, this message, this lesson tonight. And I pray that you would peel away the me in each and every one of us, yes, uh, take us out of the equation yes. as we are ready to be built up in you and build us up as we can take it, as we can grow stronger, help us to learn and see and know you and your direction, your will be done through us, yes. in us, Lord. Thank you for helping us to see what we're battling against slowly and surely as we as we learn these things help us to handle it give us the strength lord in you put that armor around us keep the whispers of the enemy away from us don't let the enemies the enemy tell us lies and break us down just continue to build us up lord for all things are possible in you guide our lives help us to discern what we are to be in and be involved in 
including our families, everyone around us, our jobs. Give us the strength to stand for you, Lord. I do have faith that you will conquer our fears, conquer our demons, our spirits that we're battling against. And as they come out of us, protect us so that more will not enter back in. Just keep us moving forward in you, Lord. We pray that those uh, demons be removed and destroyed by you, Lord, so that they cannot affect anyone else or come back on us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace this time to learn these things uh, in you, become stronger in you. Thank you for equipping us, Lord, for this battle. And help us make more and more people aware of this battle daily and strengthen them as well, Lord. In your mighty and amazing name we pray, Lord Jesus. Jesus Amen. Amen. Amen.